Tonight, we are separating the bear market, well, from all the bull. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. I don't even know where you start some of these days, Steve. There's just <laughs> so much going on. And we're going to get we're going to talk about everything that's going on, but then some of the silver linings that we see, because when you check the headlines, they can be scary. You, you know, have economic to, you have to, collapse yeah. and looming recession and run for the hills. I know you have to reach a little bit because you want to jump off the ledge when you you know hear yes. about all the negatives going on. And I my perspective has always been it's never as bad as you think it is. It's never as good as you think it is. But I'll tell you what, if you listen to the news, it sounds pretty bad. Let's talk about just where level setting here, yeah, right? Yeah. As of late last week, Friday, the S and P five hundred down twenty two, twenty three percent for the year. So definite bear market territory. Oh yeah. We have we have definitely landed Dow down seventeen percent, Nasdaq down thirty percent. Last week alone, the S and P five hundred was down close to six <laughs> percent. It, it like it Ouch. actually it hurts me to even say these numbers. I, I know, but at least bonds were okay because they're your shock absorber. They protected you, right? Did they now? Yeah, not quite. Down 10% on the year as of Friday. And I mean, this is one of those, it's one of those markets where there is no safety except, remember three months ago, everybody was saying, I got to get out of the bank. It's paying me next to nothing. I got to get that money working for me. That's the only place that's holding where you can hold your ground. Yes. You know, what you used to think. And that's all you're doing is holding ground at this point. <laughs> but holding, holding on to your ground is not a bad place no. to be in this environment great place to be. And I think um, there's a number of reasons why we're all over the place right now. You know, the, the Federal Reserve last week hiking three quarters of a point, and that's the first time they've hiked that, that much since 1994. And it's so yeah. interesting because you almost can't say, okay, the, the, the Federal Reserve did this, so here's how the market's going to respond. Because at some points they're like, whoa, that's scary. And then like the next day they're like, oh, well, we kind of like that because now we know that we're tackling inflation. We're we're just kind of all over the place right now. And I, I think there's a lot of people that just that crazy volatility and we're mostly down um, make people feel like they got to they have to do something. I, well, it's, it's human nature. Right? I mean, sure. you know, to, to stand in place and do nothing just, just doesn't feel right. You know, it's kind of the fight or flight. You know, we've got to do something to protect ourselves. And I, I you know, we've talked about it in the past. No decision is a decision, you know, and that's something, you know, some people should reexamine of, you know, maybe I just need to get through this. I, I, I was with a group over the weekend and, and you know, it, it was interesting once they asked me, you know, what I did for a living. Boom. You know, people start firing away questions. You OK talking about this? I know it's your vacation. It's the weekend. Yeah, I'm fine. I, I, I yeah. love what I do. And the overwhelming um, feeling that everybody had was. Well, what are you going to do? It's just the way it is. And there's some truth to that, but there's an underlying level of anxiety, I think. You know, we mm -hmm. haven't had a recession in quite some time. Yeah, we can talk about 2020 was a recession, but it was over so quick, everybody kind of forgets about it. You know, the last real recession was 08 and 09, and that was as scary as it gets in, in my world. You know, so there's that underlying anxiety of recession, and that's what you hear. It's, it's you know, now this guy says there's a recession coming. Now this uh, top economist says there's a recession, and, and your investments have already dropped off. So what do you do? 
you know, and, and I, at least I'm, I'm hearing from people, well, you don't want to sell at this point, and, and that's generally good advice because, you know, that just locks in losses, um, and you never know when the dust is going to settle, when you get back in. So there, it's just an anxious time for investors. And I understand completely because it's kind of a one-two punch. Not only are markets down, but inflation is at, what, 40-plus year highs? Yeah. I was talking to someone over the weekend who is retired, and has been comfortably retired for some time. And they're giving up tickets to the Reds this year. They gave up the Reds tickets because they said they just did not feel comfortable spending that. Uh, and one of them is talking about going back to work, right? Hasn't worked yeah. in, in close to 10 years. Um, and, and just looking at, you know, how much their investments are down, um, trying to cut back on things while still being, still being able to do some of the things they enjoy. Um, and, and I, my heart hurts for people who are close to retirement or retired because it is, it is, it is a little kind of, it's very anxiety ridden yeah. to bring up the word that yeah. you said. And I think that that, you know, also when people feel like they need to do something, market timing comes up, right? I'm going to yeah. get out and then I'm going to get back in when the dust is cleared. Well, how do you feel about that right now? Yeah, I, I mean, has the dust settled? I, I mean, is it obvious to you, Amy, that, that things are going to get better and, and the worst is over? It's not obvious to me. It's never clear. I mean, and that's that, the thing. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. mentioned the pandemic before in 2020. We were just going into the worst of it when the market started to rebound. There was yeah. zero, like there was zero reason for the markets yeah. to be rebounding. You know, the economy was still shut down. People were still figuring there was no sign of a vaccine on the horizon yet. Markets yeah. were responding. So there's no way to wake up in a morning and say, oh, this check this box, check this box, right? This economic thing, this economic thing, we must have hit the bottom. There's yeah. no way of knowing. Well, let's put this in real time. Was last Thursday the market bottom, right? Right? I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 mean, I would love for it to I have am, been. But... I am very comfortable at this stage of my career saying things that I don't know. And I don't know yes. if Thursday was the market bottom. But you know what? Was today one of the top 10 days that you could have missed? I, I, I don't know. And that's the problem because things are not obvious that, okay, that dust has settled. Things are going to get better. It is far from obvious. There is no clear sign that the economy is going to be fine. And there's more questions than answered. And that's the problem with getting out of the market at a high. Okay, you can generally pick something close to the high. When do you get back in? By the time it's obvious that things are going to get better, you've missed the vast majority of the strong trading days coming off a market bottom because you don't know where the bottom was until usually a good three to six months later. It's just not obvious. The economic news is not there yet when the market is at a bottom. Well, and I think you make a great point here, which is which is worth you know talking about um, about the fact that some of the best days are right after some of the worst days. Yeah. I mean, historically, you know, this you can go back and look at this strong evidence for that. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC as we separate the bear market from all the bull that you're seeing out there right now. And a little bit of perspective here because a lot of the numbers are a bit scary, and and we're feeling it when we fill up at the gas station, we're feeling it at the grocery store, we're feeling it every. Every time we check our 401k, we are definitely in bear market territory. However, the S&P 500 is still up 10% yeah. over the last three years, 10% over the last five years. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's the whole point of investing. 
why, if you're running an endowment or a pension fund and you've got some serious fiduciary responsibilities, would you get in trouble if you just kept the money in a bank? Uh, the stock market eventually comes out to be one of the better places to put your money. I, I'm going to give you an example. I, I'm the old guy. I started in this business in 1981. The Dow was, you know, mid-900s. Literally, not 19,000, 930,904. Exactly, yes. exactly. Inflation was double what it's at now. You think inflation is bad now? Inflation in 1981 oh. was 15%. We were in the middle of a recession that lasted 20 months. All right, 20 months. It's not forever, 20 months. What happened as we pulled out of that recession? The stock market over the next five years was up 229%. And things were so much worse with inflation than they are right now. If you, you know, just stayed invested, you made a lot of money as we pulled out of that recession. You fast forward to 1987, we saw, and this was a crazy day, 27% drop in, mar in stock markets in one day, 34%. That recession lasted three months. It was yeah. brutal, but it lasted three months. The next 13 years, you made 582% in the S&P 500. 582%. Great so perspective. Th this is why, you know, historically we've been through these things. A recession isn't fun. I'm not even sure we're going to have a recession. I, I mean, it's not a given. But if we do, it's not the end of the world. And when you come out of them, that tends to be when you make the bulk of your money and for a lot longer, in most cases, than the recession actually lasted. Well, this is why when so many of these economists, right, these leaders of these large banks are speaking up about recessions right now, and a lot of the headlines and a lot of the comments that I'm reading from them, you know, incredibly scary, very yeah. urgent. And I'm thinking... We've been through seven recessions since yeah. 1975. Every single time, the American economy, yes, 100% of the time. 100%. Yes. We've never failed. Let's has be clear not about only, that. Yes. Has yeah. not only made up the, the ground that was lost, but recovered to brand new highs. Yeah. Yet these people who study, they don't mention these things, right? They make a recession sound so scary. It's not fun. It's not fun to go through. It's not fun to worry about your job. It is not fun at all to check your 401k and see how much it's down. Uh, for those that are living paycheck to paycheck, it's, it's very scary. At the same time, it is a very normal part of the market cycle. And yeah. I, I feel like that, that part of the conversation is missing for so yeah. many of these sort of pundits that are that are talking about this right now. Yeah, you know, it is going up. Uh, if you count the number of Your commercials. Blood pressure? You know, People's blood pressure. <laughs> you count the number of commercials for gold. Whether it's oh, a good investment, yes. bad investment, yep. but the people that want to sell you gold, wow, are there a lot more commercials for companies that want to have you buy their gold? It's, it's amazing right now. Well, and yes, I mean, everyone talks about the flight to gold, right, during yeah. times of uncertainty, and it's, you know, they feel like it's so safe. Well, again, more perspective. Over the past 40 years, gold has risen less than 4% at an annualized rate, compared with more than 12% for the S&P 500, even more than 8% for treasuries. Yeah. Yeah. Gold has one good year, right, here or there. You can point to little periods of time, little snippets, but over over the time, is the stock market is, is always the clear winner. Has yeah. been. It, it, it's yeah. It's never been one of my favorites. You'll have one spectacular year and nine horrendously bad years. That, that tends to be the way it works out. Doesn't pay a dividend. You got to pay for storage. And, and you know, if it's average, a third of what boring Treasury bonds 
you know, with low interest rates yield. I, I, I don't get the, the it's a fear based asset. I don't yeah. there's no math behind it being a superior asset. And I know very few people that have ever bought gold and sold it at the high. They bought it, you know, 10 years ago. They bought it in 2008. They still have it. it you know, it's a fear-based investment that yep. they just hold. It makes them feel better. Is it a smart place to put your money? Generally not. I'm not a big fan. Here's the Simply Money point. For every negative headline you are seeing right now, and there are plenty of them, there are also silver linings and just a lot of perspective that you need to have if you are smart enough to use history as your example. Coming up next, the winning bid to have that private lunch with Warren Buffett. We talked about this last week. Uh, here's a clue. Steve and I did not, our $80 that we put together <laughs> did not win. Plus how you can actually take advantage of investment losses. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Mimi Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. If you can't listen to our show every night, well, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money. You'll find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight ahead at 643, the biggest regrets people have about retirement and what you can learn from other people's regrets. All right, Warren Buffett. Man, I am a huge fangirl of you Warren Buffett. Both, yeah. Yes, he's so smart. I feel like he's got so many amazing pearls of wisdom. I would love to just spend a little time with him. And that's exactly the opportunity that was out there, right? You bid on lunch with Warren Buffett on eBay, uh, and the proceeds went to a charity. Uh, and well, let's just say it was above our pay grade just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think part of that is it's his last one. He's not yes. doing this again. So He's 91 you, years old. You and seven of your best friends get to have lunch with Warren Buffett, Smith & Walensky, nice fancy steakhouse in, in New York. Not sure who picks up the tab on that, but it, I think with the money we're talking about, it's secondary. At this point, it doesn't even matter because no. just to sit down at the table, right yeah. before they even pour your glass of water, you've already paid $19 million, almost $20 million. Yeah. One person paid for an afternoon with Warren Buffett. Phenomenal. Now that money does not go to Warren Buffett. Of course, he does not need any more money in his pocket. Yeah, it goes charity. to a homeless yeah. charity in California. Very, very cool thing. Um, Warren Buffett has done this, gosh, every year. And it always makes several million dollars. But... We, we were talking about this yeah. last week, and I don't know. I was thinking maybe $8 million since it was his uh, yeah, yeah. $19 million. The, the last record was $4.5 So, yeah, maybe double it, you know, 8 or $9 yes. million. 19, well, here's the interesting part. It was actually $19,100, and it, ah. was, it, it was done on eBay. So what I'm wondering is, was somebody sitting there, I, I just bid $19 million, I got this thing, I got this thing, and at the last second, did somebody come in and Someone snipe it? In. Somebody came in and sniped it for an extra 100 bucks. Can you imagine? Oh. I was going to pay $19 million and I still lost by $100. I, what it, I can't imagine yeah. is having enough money to be able to pay yeah. for that without losing sleep for the rest of my life well, and, and, to have and, that lunch. And good for the winner because yes. that's money that they knew was going to charity. There's, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people with a whole lot of money that don't donate to charity. And, and this is $19 million going to a good cause. And they'll probably get some good perspective on investing from who I think, and I think you agree, is the world's 
best investor. Icon, an absolute icon. Yeah. What's also interesting is that the winning bidder last year um, was someone from the cryptocurrency world, right? And I just wonder after Warren Buffett. Oh, he Buffett, wants his money right? back at this yes, point. Yes, <laughs> because at Berkshire Hathaway, right, at the, yeah. at the you know in Nebraska when they were talking about this earlier this year, um, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, his right-hand man, were super uh, talkative about their viewpoints of cryptocurrency. None of it good. No, no, no. They they were crystal clear. They consider it the greater fool theory that yes. you know, why is everybody buying cryptocurrency? There's no inherent value. I mean, the quotes that came from Warren Buffett about crypto were anything but supportive or positive. He He's not a fan. I think the word stupid came up several times, so. actually, during those comments. And uh, pretty interesting. All right. So markets down, right? Down 20 plus percent so far this year. It can be stressful. And we always, though, like to find, hey, is there something that you can control during this time? And one of the things that you can do is if you're looking at your investments and certain ones are down, you can do something called tax loss harvesting. Yeah. And, and this is pulling in, and in some cases, a substantial silver lining out yeah. of a down market. I, I mean, you know, there, there, you may be looking at, wow, I'm going to get killed in taxes this year because of gains. I sold some stock, uh, you know, early January. And, and for this reason or that reason, I'm gonna have this huge gain. You are allowed to sell stock at a loss. It's not always the smart thing that you want to do from a long term perspective. But if you're trying to offset gains, if you've got a $10,000 gain because you sold stock at a profit, and you sell the stock that has a $10,000 loss that same year, they cancel each other out. Now, check with your tax advisor before you make any any decisions, but it, it's actually something that can be very beneficial to you in at least the short run. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't even have to be, it doesn't have to offset gains from this year, right? You can carry right. over those losses sort of on a tax ledger of sorts, and it can go against future gains, um, if that makes sense, right? If you don't itemize or if you if you don't take the standard deduction every well, year. So lots well, to think through. Yeah, you can only, you can only carry, you can only offset $3,000 of ordinary income yeah. uh, per year. So it's not unusual for somebody that takes a loss. To have what what's you know gonna be a tax loss carry forward and okay next year I can take another three thousand off my income and the following year until that that gain is used up but he, here's something Amy that that really can help it's called a well it's used as a wash sale and that's where okay I I, I want to sell something at a loss but I want to keep that investment because I think it's going to come come back so you can sell one type of let's say a stock mutual fund and go out and buy a similar but not identical stock mutual fund and take the loss. And as long as you wait 31 days, the IRS says, you know what, you've had enough risk over the course of that month, and we're going to let you keep that loss and stay with that other investment or go back to the original investment that you had. And if it does go ahead and make money, great, but you took that loss in the meantime. So in other words, you can you can take a loss but still be in substantially the same type of investment. The key is it's called a wash sale rule. Don't 30 buy, days. Don't buy back for th actually 31 days. Don't yes. don't buy back the original investment for at least 31 days or the IRS will disallow it. Again, check with your tax advisor. It, there, it's a little complex. Do it right, but it can be a useful tool.
I think the key here, Steve, is understanding there's a strategy available to you during yeah. times like this that could be very, could be very advantageous. You know, it's just it's just a matter of talking again to your tax advisor to make sure it makes sense to you. But you know, sometimes it's great just to know, okay, I yeah. have an option during times like this where the pain, right, is is not it doesn't cut as deep. Well, we, we we just hate to take losses. We're Americans. We yes. hate we hate to we lose. We don't like to lose, you know. But <laughs> but it's worth looking into your cost basis, and you might might have something that could work out for you in the long run. Here's a Simply Money point. Recent market conditions, definitely painful. Tax loss harvesting can maybe ease some of that pain come tax time. Coming up next, parents, listen up. Some great financial tips you need to pass along to your recent college grads. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You just graduated from college or maybe your kids did. Now what? Are you ready for the real world? Not only the job, but the paycheck that goes with it and all of those responsibilities financially. Joining us tonight is Al Riddick. He is president of Game Time Budgeting. Of course, a good friend of ours here on Simply Money with some great tips for college graduates. Um, where do we even get started here, Al? So my first tip, Amy, for those uh, college graduates is this. Save double digits before buying widgets. And let me explain what I mean by that. Okay, I like this. So so, so first of all, uh, of course, recent college graduates, one of the great things that they have on their side is time, unlike myself, you know? So if you're going you and me to both. say, I know, right? So <laughs> if, if you want to be an above average saver, you know, there's nothing wrong with targeting 15 or 20% as a savings rate. And I know that the young people are very tech savvy, but the reason that I say save double digits before buying widgets is this, you don't always have to have the latest smartphone or the latest latest uh, gadget to help you improve a certain aspect of your life, focus on the double digit savings rate first. And then some of those little extras that you want in life, there's nothing wrong with buying them, but just make sure you do things in order. I love that advice. And, you know, this is such an exciting time, right? Because you've, you've gone to school all your life. You've finished college. You've, you know, focused on one major thing. And now you're going out into the world. You're starting your career. And you say there's mistakes, though, that you see a lot of people making in that first job. What's that mistake? So this may sound funny, Amy, but this is one of the most common personal finance mistakes young people make, and it is living within their means. Now, I know you're like, wait a minute, Al, that sounds a little bit contradictory. So let me explain what I mean by that. Let's say, you know, you get this nice, fancy job offer. And as an example, this college graduate might be bringing about $4,000 home per month. But what if their savings rate is only 5%. Mm. Now, they could be saving 5%, not accruing any new debt and living a great lifestyle. But you know, just like I do, Amy, that they are probably grossly underfunding their retirement and they could be skipping even saving for emergencies as well. So the trick is not to live within your means because I think that's a mistake. To really make it sexy for yourself, live well below your means and make that gap between income and spending as wide as possible because that's where the magic happens because you'll create different options and opportunities for your financial future. 
All right. So you said to really make this sexy, right? You live below your means. But I think there's probably a lot of college graduates out there that are saying that does not sound too sexy at all. In fact, I finally got a paycheck coming in. You're telling me to leave, live beneath my means. How do we then get it through? Uh, to these college graduates, how critical it is to start saving. And it, it's funny, I've had talks with coworkers before about, you know, major mistakes that we wish that we you know just had known better. And the number one thing that everyone comes back to is, man, if we had really started saving seriously in that 401k right out of college, think about where we'd be now. How do you how do you get that through, though? So, so when I'm engaging young people, Amy, this is one of the little tips or tricks that I use. You know how we have a lot of these apps out here that will age your face. It's like, what does Al look like when he's 90 years old? Yep. So when I'm talking to young people, I always get them to download one of those fancy aging apps <laughs> so that they can see themselves, you know, with the crow's feet so they can see themselves with the wrinkles and with the gray hair. And for a lot of times, Amy, this is the first time in a young person's life where they actually thought about getting older. And then to take it a step further, you have to ask yourself as a young person, what do you want your future life to be like? And then what steps or sacrifices or strategies are you willing to put in place today in the present to prepare for your future life? And, and if that doesn't work, Amy, you know what might work? For some of these young people, when you can like show them some of these like future value of money calculators, mm -hmm. and let's just say, just put in like two, three hundred dollars a month, which really isn't that much considering mm -hmm. that you still have a lot of money left to live off of. And just put in, let's say, even like something as small as six percent as an average amount of return when young people see how easy it is for them to become millionaires that tends to impact the way that they think and look about themselves and the behaviors that they exhibit with money. But again, the trick is to get them to see themselves 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And the best way that I found to do that is to actually show them a picture of themselves. <laughs> Al Reddick from Game Time Budgeting joining us tonight. Al, that is such great advice. One of the things I love about the show is kind of the behavioral finance part of it. And we've seen so much research that shows a number, one of the main reasons why people have trouble saving for the future is because you're in the now and it's really hard, even when you're in your 40s, to picture yourself in your 60s and what your needs are going to be and that you may not be as healthy and your, your healthcare expenses might go up and things like that. And I love that you're giving these kids such a concrete way to envision themselves in the future. This has all been great advice for college graduates, but so often we see that parents actually have a difficult time sort of cutting the financial cord with kids once they go off into the world, get that first job, because let's face it, we've been used to, you know, supporting them for all these years. So what's your advice to parents when the kids are graduating from college and they do have that first job on the horizon? So for parents, first of all, I applaud all parents who have done the best that they can do to create, you know, this productive member of society. So obviously, being that you've been involved with that child's life, you have insulated them from a lot of potential challenges in life. But the funny thing about it now is this, Amy, now that they're out on their own with that first job, You've insulated them in the past, but you cannot isolate them any further. 
eventually life smacks everybody in the face, Amy, yes. uh -huh. <laughs> sooner or later. And the earlier you can experience that first smack, the better off you tend to be. So for the parent, obviously you've spent years, you know, telling that child what to do and then showing them how to do things. There's nothing wrong with letting them see for themselves what they've learned. So look, look at it this way. At the end of the day, you're just looking for a return on your investment, not from a financial point of view, but from a product, productive member of society point of view. And then you want to, of course, experience what it feels like to know that your child can truly be independent so that they can take care of themselves and stay out of your pockets. <laughs> I love that point. Ed Fink, one of our founders of Simply Money, used to always say you want to give your children both roots and wings. And this is kind of the point where you let, let those wings take over, hoping the roots also are deep, but letting them make mistakes financially and not bailing them out immediately. That's what I'm hearing you say here, Al. Uh, let them experience that pain for themselves. Definitely, Amy, because I don't know about you, but I often learn by experience, right? Yeah. So if my parents had shielded me way too much from the realities of life, I'm sure it would impact the way that I behave as an adult. But I had parents who, uh, <laughs> I hate to say it, I think they enjoyed the pain that I experienced <laughs> because a lot of times I'm sure they were like, we told you not to do this, but you did it anyway. So now it's time for you to learn a lesson, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but I'm so excited about the fact that once I was away from being under my parents roof amy uh there has not been one time where i had to call my mom and dad and say can you bail me out of a situation yeah right you you figured it out on your own and you learned from there great advice from al riddick tonight president of game time budgeting not only for recent college graduates who are going to be out there getting their first paychecks learning the importance of saving for the first time but also for parents and letting them make those first financial mistakes so that they can truly learn from them you're listening to simply money here on 55 krc the talk station You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Straight ahead, looking for a new house. Why it's best to do your search during the week. Some things you probably never thought about before. All right, I am the queen of Monday morning quarterbacking with just about anything. Whether sure. it be sports, but someone else's decision, I always know the better way to do it. Um, so let's talk about the retirees. Um who've made d some painful decisions, yeah. we can easily Monday morning quarterback them. I think the most important thing, though, is to learn the lesson from them. Yeah, I, I, I'm wondering, and I think I know the answer, are there many retirees that retired after January 1st of this year that are regretting their decision a little Ooh. bit? I, I, I mean, everybody going into retirement, they look at their 401k and their other investments and say, all right, I've hit my number. That number has changed. I mean, it has changed substantially in the last couple of months. And, and, you know, that goes back into planning. You know, did you just make this a rash decision or did you put some serious thought into your retirement date and your retirement planning maybe for years? 
And I think for those who waited, right, those are the ones who are losing sleep right now. Because for those of you who yeah. have been saving for retirement and planning for retirement for years, you can run the numbers in a worst case scenario. And, and often those plans turn out just fine. And you can you can still sleep at night. But we often hear from people who retired, hey, maybe I was even saving for years, but I wasn't really planning for the actual transition. Yeah. What am I going to do with my time? Uh, what is my actual budget going to be? How, how am I going to draw this money down? And many of you have said, who've retired already, I wish I had planned for that and kind of started thinking about the transition long before I did. It's oh. so funny. We talk about retirement for so many years, but when it gets close, so many people almost have this like mental, they just can't do it. Yeah. The, the worst thing I ever heard during a meeting was from and somebody literally who just retired like the day before. So how does this work? They had never oh. even thought about it. They, oh. they just retired. They had this vision of just dancing off into the future and traveling and everything else. Had no idea how to file for Social Security. No Ooh. idea how to draw money from their 401k. No idea if they had enough in their 401k to draw what they wanted to draw. And that's what I heard. How does this work? Don't be that person. Yes. I always I always talk about your, your plan, your financial plan yeah. as sort of a roadmap, right? You have your map for how you're going to do things. And then maybe when you get closer to retirement, you tweak the map a little bit. There's a slight detour here or something yeah. there. But you've got a great starting point and you're still going in the same direction. And there's a number of people who have kind of waited till that time and then they're overwhelmed. And they say, I wish I would have gotten help figuring these things out, whether yeah. it's high level strategies of how I'm going to draw my money down, right? Some tax planning things. It, it, I wish I had gotten help earlier. Yeah. And, and you know, you and I think, yeah, a professional advisor would, would be the person that everybody should go to. But some people can do this on themselves. The whole key is getting started soon doing the research years ahead of your retirement date. I, I mean, what you don't want to do is walk into that meeting with HR and your hand is shaking as you sign the papers. I, yeah. that, to me, that's my job description to keep your hand from shaking when you retire. Because if you sit down and you put together a plan a couple of years ahead of time, oh, wait a second, let's update that plan because I'm actually spending more money than I, I thought I was spending when I sat down with you six months ago. Those are the best conversations I ever have because that tells me this person is putting some serious thought into where the money comes from, where it's going, all their dreams, how much travel they plan on spending money on every year and so on and so forth. And that's the person that is and, and to me, this is the ultimate goal. The person that says a year, two years after retirement, best decision I ever made. I wish I did it a year sooner. I love that comment. I saw a commercial about retirement several years ago, and it is so stuck with me. And it is the person, right, coming in on their last day of working. And of course, there's this big party and balloons and much excitement and of cake. And then everyone leaves. And that person is sitting there in the dark, afraid to leave the building because they don't <laughs> know what comes next. Yeah. They're afraid about their money. They're afraid about what they're going to do with their time. And I just remember being like, oh, my gosh, how horrible for people who fall into this camp. Yeah. It's not just a commercial. It is reality for a lot of people. Um, and also being flexible, right? There's there's different ways to handle your money, handle your budget. Sure. Um, and sometimes, like right now, you know, maybe you were planning on, I don't know, drawing from your a Roth first or whatever it was in retirement. And all of a sudden now there's a downturn. You don't want to pull yeah. money out of your accounts right now. But if you have the flexibility of an emergency fund available to you, well, yeah. then you're drawing on cash. Cash isn't down. Uh, you know, so, so being flexible and having options is incredibly yeah. powerful. And, and these are the things you want to set up a couple of years ahead of time.
Yes. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've got $10,000 in savings. I'm 59 years old. Okay, maybe you should work on having fifty to $80,000 in savings by the time you retire. You know, um, let's not put off those, re- the, those estate planning decisions. Let's confront them. Let's make sure your will and powers of attorney are all set up. All this stuff that you need to do in retirement, don't wait until retirement when it's a flurry of activity. Get these decisions started a couple of years before retirement, and you'll feel a whole lot more comfortable. Here's the Simply Money point. If you are looking forward to peace of mind in retirement, pay close attention to the here and now so you don't end up with major regrets later. Coming up next, waiting to house hunt on weekends might actually not be the best idea, even though that's when most people do it. We'll explain why. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, we talk about, man, Cincinnati's housing market, like the rest of the country going at gangbusters, even still with the rising mortgage interest rates. Um, so if you are a first-time buyer or you're just out there looking, just a suggestion that maybe you've not thought about before. And, you know, there's so much talk about getting pre-approved and all yeah. of that and how competitive the market is. Looking for your home during the week. Yeah, what a difference! I, I, my old house is a perfect example. I, I mean, we were on a you know what what turned out to be an incredibly busy road, but when we looked at the house on a weekend, this is going back thirty years. Nice, quiet. Oh wow, big <laughs> yard, not a busy street, sleepy area, perfect place. Yeah, and we moved, and no regrets about it. But when we moved in, Monday morning rolled around. I go out to get the paper at the end of the driveway and wave to the people waiting for the red light because it was a major community commuting route that you sure don't see on a Sunday. Yes. You want the full truth of what that neighborhood is like. And I, you know, it's funny. um, If you're not going when buses, right, like school buses are going through and things like that, it's really easy on a Sunday morning walking through the house and being like, this is perfect. And you can hear the birds chirping outside and, you know, there's no horns honking to drown them out during rush hour. Yeah. During the afternoon rush when kids are coming home from school and parents are coming home, it's a very different thing. So being intentional about kind of scheduling your time in that neighborhood and at that house when it is kind of a busy time. During rush time, hour. Yeah. Makes rush, a lot more sense. Rush hour is a great time to visit the neighborhood. You're thinking of buying and seeing what the traffic is like. You just bought a house. I, I mean, you've got, I, I'm guessing, more construction than commuting going on, but it's it's got to be a concern. Well, yes, 100%. And luckily, I grew up in this neighborhood. My yeah. aunt's right down the street. My dad's super close by. I, I knew I knew very well what to expect. And I'm, I'm so grateful, though, that I did know the area well, because there's actually, it's right by an elementary school. And, yeah. and there's a, a cars back up for a mile in front of our neighborhood when it's time for kids to get out after school. Yeah. I knew that coming into it. I knew how to kind of route my way around it. But if um, you didn't, if you didn't grow up, if in I was that, that moving from out of town, that would have been a really uncomfortable thing yeah. to figure out. And if if I yeah. didn't know my way around and figure out the routes around it, it could be incredibly frustrating. So it just kind of makes sense. And, and for whatever reason, I was just talking to a friend of mine who's a realtor, and they said, well, it's kind of like the, the homes go on the market on Thursday or Friday, and by Sunday, the, the bids are coming in. Mm-hmm. It is almost like the market isn't set up for this right now. Yeah. But trying to be intentional about maybe being that first person in there on Thursday so you can at least see it you know, on a weekday makes a heck of a lot of sense. Well, that, that's the problem in a hot market is you don't have much time to make a decision. I mean, you virtually have no time. I'm, I'm hoping the market slows down. I think rising mortgage rates, even though 
lot of people aren't crazy about that. It may slow down the market, and that would help people just make a better decision and maybe be able to do some of this planning and, and visiting during weekdays. Well, I think most people, you just have more time on the weekends, right? You're not yeah. running from work to back home and the kids stuff. If you are seriously hunting for a house right now, I would say set aside a couple of evenings a week where you just keeps a, a block of time open. Yeah. And, and if something comes on the market that you can get there quickly so you can really kind of test that neighborhood during a time when it's not sleepy Sunday morning, but it is when really there's traffic and, and real advice, stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.